thank you for joining us, everyone. Happy Easter. He is risen. Amen. So we're just going to start out our worship time with a few verses probably familiar to you. From Mark 16, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, mother of the Mary of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. We invite you to worship with us this morning. risen. We are so thankful to have everyone here today. You can go ahead and have a seat for just a minute. Just a couple of reminders uh, on this Easter morning. First of all, if you are a newcomer here with us today, we welcome you. We're excited to have you join us. We do have a welcome table out front. If you feel so inclined, uh, you can stop by there, introduce yourself, and I believe we do have a few gift bags uh, available for those that are visiting us for the first time. Another reminder, uh, a week from today, we'll be having our family uh, prayer night, so uh, all are welcome to, to come to that time, and uh, that will be in the evening next Sunday. Um, I'm going to read just a few, a few more verses as we continue uh, in our time of worship. This is from Philippians chapter 2. Speaking about Jesus, it says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Three days went by again they came to move the stone to bless the slain with oil and spice anointing Hallelujah But as they
I have a little saying, if that doesn't light your fire, you have wet wood. So uh, we're uh, grateful and thank you for you young people encouraging us in Christ and uh, leading us into his presence. I want to extend to you a blessed Easter. So grateful for you to be here with us on this Easter morning and glad that you could join with us. I'm going to try to continue our worship as if you would join me as we look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so grateful for your love for us. And we have heard the story, Lord, of a, a babe born in a manger who grew and was a man acquainted with grief and sorrow, died and rose again, and that's the, the message and the joy and the glory and the opportunity we have to share and worship you this morning. I pray that you would take your word and that you would drive it home to our hearts, that you would only solidify the things that you've stirred in our hearts already this morning, and if you haven't begun to, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would work in each heart who's hear each, each heart who's hearing, and those of us who know you might be enriched and encouraged, and those who don't might be drawn to you and surrender their lives to a God who loved us enough to send his Son, who would die on a cross and rise again, that we might have new life in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as a 10-year-old boy, I went to Camp Matigua, which is a Boy Scout camp um, out here south of Boone, and... I was there for a week at Camp Matigua working on my Boy Scout merit badges. And while I was there, I was experiencing some discouragement because it was muddy and rainy. I was fighting an infection. And I was being led on these uh, marathon hikes by some uh, like Green Beret Boy Scout. And uh, they were filled with all sorts of ominous and treacherous events and activities. It was not a very good experience in light of that. But midweek, dad-mom showed up for a potluck. And I must tell you that when dad and mom showed up, it was a great relief to me and a great encouragement to me in many, many ways because of just having them, having them there. Their appearance impacted my life. In, in some good ways. Uh, when they left, not so much, but it was good when they were there, all right? And I say that because in much the same way, the risen Christ's appearance to the, to the disciples, uh, who were sorrowful, they were confused, they were frightened, and when Jesus showed up, it was a great encouragement to them. And his resurrection accomplished all kinds of important things in their lives, but not just in the lives of the people then, but in the lives of people ever since then. And so this morning, what I'd like us to do is to look at a passage of Scripture that illumines for us uh, the importance of Jesus' appearance. So in John chapter 20, uh, beginning with verse 19, we're going to look at three important purposes that Jesus resurrection accomplished in the lives of his followers but also in the lives of those who really were faithless and so if you'll join me I'm, I'm going to read through the passage in John chapter 20 
Beginning with verse 19, there are Bibles underneath the seats in front of you. If you have your phone or your uh, tablet or whatever, you can turn there. Or if you have your good old Bible, you can turn there. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Version. So if you have a different version, it might be a little different, but that's okay. I'm beginning with verse 19. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came. And stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, uh, And he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, your sins have been Their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I shall see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, the disciples were inside and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand and put it into my side. And be not unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, Have you believed? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Now, there are Passage breaks down in many different ways, but the three important purposes of the passage for those who are its followers and those who are the faithless, I have articulated or laid out for you or in your outline if you have the bulletin. But the first one is that our Lord appeared to comfort the fearful. It says in verse 19, when therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week. Well, that was the first Easter, okay? That was... The evening after Mary had discovered an empty tomb. That's chapter 19 or chapter 20, verse 1. And then she had told Peter and John, who went to the tomb in verse 2, and they ran there and, and they finally began to grasp what Jesus had been telling them that he was going to rise from the dead. If you have your Bibles or your uh, phone or whatever, you can look at verse 9. It says, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So he had told them a number of times that he was going to suffer, be crucified, and rise from the dead. But they didn't get it yet, but now they're getting it. You think about it. The disciples had followed him for three years. They'd watched him heal the sick. They'd seen him cast out demons. They'd even seen him raise people from the dead. And they were hoping for a place of honor when he ushered in his kingdom. Problem was, he died. And their hopes went out the window. (laughs) And their hopes are dashed. And they're like, whoa, that's not in our plan. 
You remember James and John, who's going to sit at the right and the left when you, when you usher in your kingdom? And Jesus is kind of backpedaling them. You guys don't get it. You're, you don't understand what's happening here. And so they wanted these honors. But he had been arrested, he tried, and crucified. They were disillusioned and they were discouraged as they gathered that evening. After he had been raised. And they were behind shut, or some of your versions say locked doors. For fear of the Jews. Uh, well, they offed him, maybe we're next. They're thinking. And so they ran and hid. I can't imagine what it would have been like to have been in that school in Nashville. I would imagine people running and hiding. Under desks, in the hallway, wherever they could go. They were afraid. And Jesus' disciples were legitimately afraid. They had just, they had just crucified their leader. The disciples' hope of a better life, of escaping Roman oppression, out the window. And so, what do they do? I mean, they'd heard the reports that he was alive. I mean, Mary had come back to them and told Peter and James. Or John had gone to the, to the tomb. They were hearing that it was alive. But it, so that it's into this kind of chaos that Jesus actually appeared to them, the doors having been shut, locked. Okay, I mean, as much as we can, try to put yourself in that situation. Jesus is dead. Somebody says he's alive, but, you know, usually when you're dead, you're dead. And so they're huddled in this room, and then all of a sudden Jesus shows up. Whoa. Uh, they must have freaked out a little bit. They must have freaked out. And, and so what Jesus does, it, he, he provides comfort to them in a couple of different ways. At the end of verse 19, he brought comfort by what he said. What did he say to them? First words out of his mouth. He says, peace be with you. Now that was a standard uh, way to introduce yourself. Standard greeting. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. But Jesus amplified it and he made it not just an uh, introduction, but he spoke a, a greeting that said, don't be troubled. Okay, we, we see that they were freaked out a little bit in Luke chapter 24, verse 37. Do we have, uh, I think we have that, yeah, verse 47 he says, 37. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were looking at a spirit or a ghost, okay? And he said to them, why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Don't worry about it, it's, it's me, okay? He's telling them, don't be troubled. We see this also in John chapter 14, uh, verse 1. He said to them, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So Jesus is saying, calm down, guys, it's okay. Don't worry about it. That's what he spoke to them. But then he brought comfort by what he showed. And his actions provided incontrovertible evidence, irrefutable evidence, <laughs> that it really was him, that he had been uh, raised from the dead. In Luke chapter 24, verse 39, uh, we read this. See my hands and my feet, it, that is I myself. Touch me and see, because the Spirit does not have flesh and bones as you plainly see that I have. So you could touch him. You could see that it really was the risen Christ. And the reaction of the disciples confirms that it really was him. It says in verse 20 that they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So I asked myself, okay, so that's good for them. But what about us? 
How can the presence of the risen Christ then bring comfort to anybody now? And I'm just going to give you three reasons why I think that's true. They're not the only reasons, I'm sure. But first of all, the risen Christ, first of all, we can find comfort because he accomplished salvation for all who believe. If you want to follow me, you can, but I'm going to uh, over, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 17, it says this. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. What he's saying there is if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christianity is, is a hoax and it's, and it's a waste of our time. Because the truths of Christianity are based upon the reality of Christ risen, being raised. That he proved that he conquered sin and death. Verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, who died for their sins and rose again to prove he conquered sin and death, have been made alive for those who believe. Alive from death to life. The death of Christ took the punishment for our sin that we deserve. We're all messed up people. We all fail to meet up to God's standard. And we deserve God's wrath, but Christ took that wrath upon himself when he died on the cross. And then when he rose again, it was God's acceptance of that payment in our place. So that the righteousness of God would come upon us, our undeserved sin fell upon Jesus, his undeserved righteousness came upon us when we believe. That's the miracle of the crucifixion and the resurrection so that we would live eternally. We'd have eternal life. And that life, I would correct you, uh, James, Dr. James Fox, who was an avowed atheist, taught me this theology. I'm not stuttering. That Christians believe that the moment you put your faith and your trust in Christ, you have eternal life. That's what the Bible says. The moment you trust Christ, you have eternal life. It's not a tack on. Now, uh, the reality of it changes. Once this body is dead, we go to join the Lord in the air, and our life in Christ changes, but we still are in Christ from the moment we put our faith or our trust in Christ. Our salvation is secure. The resurrection sustains us in our earthly life because we know we are His children in victory and in defeat in this world. I'll say that again. In victory and in defeat in this world. Whenever things are going bad, whenever things are going well, we know that ultimately our life is in Christ. And that's the, that's the point. Um, I endured Camp Matigua, okay? With the hope that my merit badges would be received. Every child of God endures this life with the confidence 
that we are going to be with the Lord and that we're with the Lord right now, which is the second encouragement of the resurrection. So, but it's, it, it, we know that if we lose a loved one, if we get physically ill, if we lose our financial status and everything about us, or if we have the joy of making new friends or being used in mighty ways for the, for the kingdom, we know that all of that pales in comparison with the eternal salvation that's secured for us in Christ through His resurrection. For all who believe, living He loved me, dying He saved me, buried He carried my sins far away, rising He justified, which means He made me right with God, He made us right with God. Someday he's coming, oh glorious day. I love that passage in Luke chapter 10 where the disciples, he sends the disciples out two by two, and they're like, wow, this is cool stuff, you know. I mean, we're casting out demons, and people are being healed from the sick, and they come back with this report to Jesus, and, and Jesus says this to them. He says, don't, in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, don't be all excited. Now, this is my paraphrase. Don't be excited about the fact that the demons are subject to you, but be excited about this, that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In sorrow and in joy, the greatest thing is that we are His children. And that's what Jesus came to them for. I think He does it for us as well. That we, our names are written. Secondly, the risen Christ attends to us in every situation. Not only does he assure us of our salvation, but he attends to us in every situation in which we find ourselves. Uh, Jesus' appearance was in fulfillment of a promise. He said he would die and rise again the third day. And it, it, it brought joy uh, to, to them and, and their sorrow. But it's encouragement for us as, as well because Christ ascended into heaven. But then he didn't just leave us floundering around here on earth. He promised while he's physically absent, he would be spiritually present. What did Jesus tell the disciples at the end of Matthew chapter 28, verse 20? Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. His spirit, his body is in, with the Lord, but he is, spirit is present with us, encouraging us and strengthening us in everything. I have this friend, uh, and he's, he's gone... Uh, to some pretty nasty places in the world where you'd be afraid to go and talk about Jesus. And I remember he sent me this. He said, he faithfully, he went. God called him and he fearfully traveled to this spot. I'm not going to tell you where, but it's in the Middle East. Uh, and he went to this spot, uh, I think. It's either the Middle East or North Africa. Uh, not a place to go uh, if you're going to talk to people about Jesus. And this is what he wrote to me. He says, he says, this, God met me, and I met God. God met me, and I met... Now, that doesn't mean he actually you know, shook hands with God. It just means that the presence of the Spirit of God worked in his life, protected him, and he understood that God was his protector and took care of him. There's a third motivation, encouragement, that, and comfort that Jesus brings, and that is the risen Christ is returning. He's the returning Christ. Not only is he risen, but he's coming back. In John chapter 14, verse 3, he says, I'm coming back. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. John 16, he said, 
these things I have spoken to you that you will not be led into sin. Therefore, you too uh, have grief now, but I, see, I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice. Rejoice. And no one is going to take your joy away from you. This is a promise that he gives to us. The resurrection promise. Jesus said, I'm going to die and be crucified and rise again. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. Then he did it. Gives us encouragement that the promise that he's coming again will also be fulfilled. I mean, if he filled one, fulfilled one promise, why would we doubt that he's going to do the second thing? That will we rejoice in him? One day he's coming. And it's a glorious day. It's a day in which uh, the, the believers will be caught up. Believers will join him. Uh, we're, one day, believers are going to be raised again to life just like Jesus was because he was the first of those who are yet to come. And so we take joy in that. And we can be encouraged in that. That one day he's coming, oh glorious day. Uh, for believers, it's a good thing. But for those who don't know Jesus, it's not a good thing. <laughs> it's it will mean judgment. For believers, it means glory. For unbelievers, it means judgment. And that's why we share the joy of knowing Christ, because we don't want people to be judged. Did you know that in certain religions, if you don't convert, they want you to die? In Christianity, we, we don't teach, oh, we're, we're out. If you don't want to follow Christ, well, we're going to get rid of you. No, we want you to come to know Christ. So that you're not alienated from God forever. There is a second purpose. And this one has to do, again, with believers. Our Lord appeared to commission the faithful in verses 21 through 23. If you look at verse 21, Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be with you. Christ's presence brought a, a challenge. And the challenge comes in three parts. First, there's reassurance. The second, peace be with you. All right, It's a statement to calm their fears. Because now he's going to charge the disciples to continue to do what he did. Uh, and what happened to him? Uh, he died. Uh, just relax, guys uh, but I, and gals, but I'm asking you to do the same thing. You're going to watch, walk into the same firestorm that I did. Calm their fears and charge them with continuing the ministry that he'd begun. Now, what was his requirement? That's the second part. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. What did the Father send the Son to do? John the Baptist said in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He sent the Son to save people. He sent the Son into the world to save people. And He sends the disciples to do the same thing. To speak the truth. Uh, Luke chapter 24 uh, verses uh, 45 through 48 uh, is, a, is, a, is a great passage. I want you to look at that. If you, you just have to turn back a few pages. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Verses 45 to 48. And he opened their minds. This is the two guys on the road to Emmaus. After Jesus, another resurrection appearance. These two guys. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer... And rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And then he says this in verse 48. You're witnesses of these things. You are witnesses. And so every believer is a witness. And a witness is supposed to bear witness. We're supposed to speak the witness. We all deserve God's wrath. Okay. 
because of our sin. Now, some of you say, I'm not that bad. Yeah. I mean, God's absolutely holy. So there's nobody here that's absolutely holy. And all I have to do is talk to somebody who knows you well. And they can tell me the truth, that you're not that holy either. You may think you're holy, but you're not. And because of that, we deserve God's wrath because he's absolutely holy. But in his love, he sent his son Jesus to take our place, to die in our place for us as the sacrifice that we deserve. And he was raised again. That's what we tell people. Then he was raised again in order that we might be made right with God. There's a passage in Romans chapter 4. It says, he was delivered up on account of our sins. That's why he went to the cross, to pay the price for our sins. And he was raised again in order to bring about our fancy theological word, justification, to make us right with God, to bring us back into right standing before God. That's why Jesus died on the cross, and that's why he rose again from the dead. So that all who would repent, another theological word, just means I'm going this way, away from God, either deliberately, voluntarily, knowingly, actively sinning against God or just passively I don't care about God I'm walking away from him. and repent means I take 180 to return and now I turn and I'm trusting in Christ and my mind is changed he's no longer outside he's my Lord and my master if we repent of our sin and believe fully trust in Christ we'll receive forgiveness in his name that's what Luke chapter 24 says Forgiveness, that I won't have to pay the price for my sin. Did you ever mess up? And, you know, ever speed and never get caught? Yeah. Did you ever speed and the guy give you a warning? That's not getting what you deserve. When Christ died on the cross, he paid the ticket for us. You got caught, you needed to pay the price, and dad or mom stepped in and paid it for you. You say, oh, it never happened for me. Well, your heavenly father did. He paid the debt. He paid the price for us. Uh, but we must believe. We must accept it. And people say, yeah, I've heard this all my life. I mean, I'm, I mean, I come to church on Easter. What do you expect? And I expect you to tell me about Jesus dying on the cross and being raised, raised again to give us new life. I tell you what, belief is active trust. When Anand and I got in a car in India, and drove and rode around in the streets, and somebody else was driving. Let me tell you what, that's active trust. You don't know where people, I mean, and our driver, I told you this before, our driver, I saw him look over his shoulder once to see if something was coming. Once in 10 days. And I mean, everything's on the road. I mean, you just pull out, this is the thing, you just pull out, and they're supposed to watch for you. Okay, that is active trust. And what God asks us to do is to actively trust that Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid our debt and that when he rose again from the dead, it validated that payment and God confirmed it and we received new life in Christ. And so that's what we're supposed to tell people. Christ's resurrection gives credibility and authority to the testimony that forgiveness and eternal life is found only through faith in Jesus Christ. No place else. Neither is salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you've never gotten in that car 
You don't mean know about in your head, but you never really surrendered your life to Christ. That's the message that we as Christians have been called to, t- to, to give you. And that's the message I give you this morning. And I invite you and I implore you, don't wait. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ and then you too will have that new life. And you'll have the promise that you will be raised again from the dead, just as Christ was the first fruits. Now, um, we have a guy that, uh, we've lived in Urbandale for five years. Bought our home in 2017, and we have replaced the roof on our home twice because of hail damage. And uh, Joe is my roofer, and he uh, works, owns the roofing company, JB Roofing. And I would actually recommend Joe because I know of Joe's work. And I can testify to Joe's work and his crew's work. It's, wor- it's reliable. The facts of the resurrection, the death and crucifixion of Jesus, enable me to say with confidence that it's true. And recommend Christianity without a doubt. The facts of Christianity enable us to recommend it without reservation. So to the unbelievers, I say, receive it. To those of us who know Christ, I say, well, do you recommend it? And who are you recommending it to? (laughs) Because God's Son sent us out to do just that, to make that recommendation. Those who don't know Christ, don't delay. And finally, we have the resources. Notice what it says in verse 22, that He would give us the Spirit of God. And when He had said this, He he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. We're given the presence and the power of the Spirit of God. Jesus promised to send another helper. Uh, the Spirit of God who would be within us, John 14, who abides with you and will be in you. And as Christ left the earth, earthly presence, He asked the Father to send the Spirit to dwell within His believers, to give us the power. And that's the power to do what? To do what He sent us to do, which He said He would, Acts chapter 1, verse 28. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. You receive power. So we have the power of the Spirit to do what God has sent us to do. Isn't it interesting that God always enables what He requires? Whatever God asks us to do, He enables us to do it. Now, we don't always feel like we're enabled. (laughs) And that's the kicker. I mean, you you got to step out on the limb sometimes, and you're going, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'm here. So, Lord, if you don't show up, this is a disaster. You know what? It's quite often for most of us, if we're honest. It's just like if God doesn't show up here, uh, nothing's happening. And yet it's the miracle that he gives us. And then the, the, the second, we're given the kingdom authority for a mission. Now, verse 23, this is a really interesting verse, and I could spend a lot of time on it, and I'm not going to, but it says this. And you're going, whoa, I don't know about this. Is this actually in the Bible? If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been re- re- uh, retained. Sounds a lot like that we have the authority to actually forgive sins. Well, only God forgives sins, okay? Only God forgives sins. That's Mark chapter 2, verse 7. Remember, that's why they got on Jesus, because he, <laughs> he said to the guy that was the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. And they go, whoa, only God can forgive sins. You're right. But spirit-empowered believers have been given the authority from God's word through the spirit to declare that all who genuinely repent 
and believe in the gospel are forgiven. While those who refuse to repent and believe are condemned. You see, we don't have any more power than God gave us through, 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 the, through the word of God. Christians can call professing believers who refuse to turn from their sin, we can say, uh-uh, no, you need to repent. And if you don't repent, then you may not even be a child of God. And we do that not on the basis of our own authority, but on the basis of the Word of God. Uh, when I applied for my visa to go to India, the people in the consulate have the authority to accept or reject that visa. But they do it on the basis of the guidelines that they have been given by their government. They don't have unilateral authority to deny or to accept it. Neither do believers have the unilateral authority to deny or accept or to declare forgiven or not forgiven. That comes from God and it comes from His Word. We can definitively and authoritatively affirm only but entirely what God's Word says. Okay? What the Scripture affirms. We can denounce authoritatively and definitively, but entirely anything that God's Word denounces. So when we see a sin, we can say, that's a sin. And a sin leads us to eternal condemnation. And if you don't turn from your sin, which this is one, then you will be eternally condemned. We can say that. Because God's Word says it. We can also say that if you repent and, and, and confess it, you will be forgiven, because that's what God's Word says. We confirm the forgiveness of those who repent and confront the folly of those who rebel. There's one third purpose here, and this deals with those who are faithless. Thirdly, our Lord appeared to confront the faithless. And there are two facts support the claim. First of all, uh, we see a portrait of doubt. There's an interesting study in, in, in verse 24, but Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, we've seen the Lord. Now, who is this Thomas guy? He's one of the disciples, right? So he'd been with Jesus, and what had he seen? He just went to the Gospel of John. Well, he'd seen Jesus turn water to wine, okay? He'd seen Jesus feed the 5,000, that's in chapter 6. He'd seen a blind man receive his sight. He'd seen Lazarus raised from the dead in chapter 11. And he declared his affection to Jesus in John 14. But guess what? He refused to accept the testimony of the other people. Um, we have seen the Lord, they said. And he goes, nah, I'm not buying it. I don't really get that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not down with that. Why not? I had a, some people just like to stay in their unbelief, right? I had, a, I had a, con, a professed atheist. I was having this discussion with him. This has been years ago. I had this discussion with him. I said, if I could answer every one of your objections to Christianity, would you believe? He didn't like that question. He didn't like that question. Why? Because he was, he was willingly, he had his mind made up. He didn't want confused with the facts, Okay. Thomas is not there. He wants the facts. He said, but he's pretty demanding, right? Uh, if I don't stick my fingers in, the, in the, the holes in his hands and in his feet and my hand in his side, then I'm not buying it. He was demanding, and his demands proved 
that his unbelief was unacceptable. All right? But he was given compelling, convincing, and convicting evidence. And the proof disarms. That's what, verses 27 to 29. And three steps that Jesus took graciously. You know, he could have just like, okay, Thomas, I'm done with you. You know, you don't believe? After all this time, I'm done. But he didn't. He, he offers comforting words. Look at verse 26. He says, and after eight days again, his disciples were inside and Thomas with him. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and he stood in their midst. Third time. Peace be with you. Instead of like, Thomas, you're a knucklehead. I'm done with you. He said, peace be with you. Thomas's unbelief deserved a stern rebuke, but what did it get? God's mercy. So you may be here, you know, you may be a skeptic. I'm just out. I'm not sure about this Jesus stuff. There's, there's hope for the skeptics, okay? No skeptic is, is hopeless because the Lord is willing to deal with us mercifully. And so he offers convincing proof. What was Thomas asking? Sick my fingers in the holes, feet, side. What did Jesus give him? Do it. Here I am. Have at it. You can do it, Thomas. In spite of Thomas's obstinance, the Lord provided the exact evidence that he demanded. Now, here's an interesting question. How did Jesus know what he asked? You think about that? I mean, Jesus didn't say, oh, no, what was it you were asking about, Thomas? What, what was your doubts? He was there. Eight days later, he came back, and he knew exactly what Thomas had asked. And he gave Thomas exactly what he asked for. Ooh, maybe there's more evidence that he's God uh, than, than we thought. And, and Thomas's doubts evaporated. What does he say? My Lord and my God. You are my master. That's what Lord means. And you know, if, you're, if you are not a child of God, that's what is required of becoming a child of God. He becomes our master. Our Lord. We trade slavery to sin to slavery to the Savior. He becomes our absolute master. And you are my God. Absolute deity. No hopeless skeptics as God graciously receives the most hardened unbelievers who believe into his arms. Be not unbelieving, but believing is what Jesus said to him. Now that's a good message then and now. And so if you're here this morning and you're not believing, then that's the message that Jesus has for you. Be not unbelieving and condemned to an eternity separated from him, but be believing and enter into new life with him. And then he, he offers a challenging promise, verse 29. And he says, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Do you know what the message is? That's for every person after that. Blessed are those who have not, because I haven't seen Jesus risen from the dead. Nobody since this, since he ascended has seen him risen from the dead. But we are blessed, which is a great way of saying favored by God, if we believe even though we haven't seen. Jesus is not condemning a faith that requires evidence. I don't think. What he's doing is he's commending a faith that doesn't require any more than he's given. It's a faith that's, as uh, James 
Boyce calls a satisfied faith. It's like, well, okay, there's enough evidence here, and I'll accept what Jesus has given me. Instead of like Thomas, no, i got to have more. Uh, some of you know who Rick Gentosi is. Uh, he's a member of our congregation, and he's, a, he's an Italian dude, right? Okay. Now, if Rick said, if you went to Rick and you said, I want to know the best Italian restaurant in the, in the Des Moines area, and he gave you a name of a restaurant, <clears throat> would you believe him? Some of you would. And some of you would be like, Thomas, nah, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll check it out. That's our skepticism. And Thomas's skepticism. And here he's, blessed are those who receive the evidence that's been given and they accept it, that Jesus is risen from the dead. Now, this is not just fabrication. It's not just, you know, blind faith. There is all kinds of historical evidence that Jesus is risen from the dead. And the biggest evidence is there's an empty tomb. Don't be unbelieving, but believe. Blessed are those. And then here's the deal. John is concluding here, and he says, this is, there's a lot of signs that have been written down about this work of Jesus. And the most notable sign is his resurrection from the dead. And you know what? These have been written down for a purpose. And the purpose is this, that you might know that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life in his name. They're written down for that purpose. And the evidence of John's, uh, John's recorded witness is intended to lead us to repentance and faith. In Christ. And so if you haven't, this is the challenge for you. If you have, then hey, comfort and a commission. And if you haven't, then there's a challenge to believe the risen Christ appeared to comfort the helpful, to commission the faithful, and to convict the faithless. That's what he came for. And on this Easter Sunday, I would suggest to you that softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Oh, Sinner, come home. If you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, he's inviting you to become one of his children. And if you know Jesus Christ, he's comforting you and he's calling you to share this mission with a lost and dying world. And how fitting that we close our, our service by taking bread and juice that remind us of what to believe, that there was a Christ who died his body was broken and his blood shed so that our sins could be forgiven. But he didn't stay in the grave. He rose again so that we might have new life and join him one day in heaven for all who believe. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart we believe resulting in righteousness and the mouth we confess resulting in salvation. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then take a moment or two, evaluate your heart, confess your sins, and come either front or the back. Take the bread and the juice. You can take it up here or you can take it uh, back to your seat and take it. And if you don't know Jesus, my challenge for you is to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised from the dead. You'll be forgiven. And then you come and you take these reminders in celebration. Everyone's welcome who knows Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your Son, our Lord, and for the resurrection from the dead and the comfort that it brings, the commission that it gives.
to those who know you and the challenge to those who don't know Christ that they would come to know you and enter into your kingdom and find joy and life everlasting. Help us as we take these elements to celebrate that in Jesus' name.